You're listening to the Sugarcane Podcast, where you get all of crypto's tastiest tidbits. Here's your hosts, Sheldon Trotman and Rudy Dogan. Welcome back for another week of Tasty Tidbits. We are here <laughs> to talk about something very serious, security and risks in this crypto world. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal. There's a lot of money being lost, stolen, hacked, scammed, grifted, whatever it is. It's, uh, it's tough. It's a tough space. It's new. So if there's something new, that means someone's going to find a way to exploit it somehow. And it's not yeah. just unique to crypto. It's just making big headlines because crypto is mostly financial. And when something does get hacked, it's a pretty big sum of money. So Sheldon, we've been around this industry for a while and we've seen plenty of hacks happen. But yeah. tell me, what yeah. hacks have you seen in your lifetime here? What were the biggest yeah. ones? <laughs> you know, it's nuts. Um, so a couple of actually even like this year, uh, like for example, Euler, Euler um, Finance, they got hacked. Uh, must have been in Q1, so I was like, February, March timeframe of, of, of this year, uh, they mm -hmm. got hacked for about like 200 mil, um, $200 million, by the way. And that's like a <laughs> large sum. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. No, uh, it was, it was an issue with, um, so Viper is a programming language that was used to program some of the smart contracts and there's a vulnerability in the actual programming, like compiler in a sense, the way in which the code goes from like raw human readable code down, down to like on-chain transaction or smart contract code. Uh, machine code. And so there's a, a vulnerability there that people found and took, took advantage of. Um, also kind of more recently than that, there was like Curve. So Curve Finance, that was, isn't sound funny to say, but that was one of the smaller, <laughs> large hacks. And so that was like about $70 million. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. no, so that one's, oh, dang, I think I mixed it up. So Viper was, that was Viper. So Curve, um, Viper had an issue and then Euler happened like with a vulnerability in their smart contracts. So a couple uh, interesting ones there. And then kind of across the board, the largest ones, large, large, large ones are mainly bridge hacks, to be honest. Like if you think about like Ronin. Um, so if people heard about the kind of game called Axie Infinity, a bridge from Ethereum to Ronin, um, that bridge got hacked. Uh, and a kind of funny story about that is it took them about like a week to find out that there was actually money lost. And this is not a small sum of money. So they, they got hacked for about $600 million. So <laughs> that one happened last year. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one. That, yeah. Another one that got hacked was uh, so BNB. So the bridge to BNB to, to Binance Smart Chain. Uh, that one got hacked somewhere around like 580, 590 million as well. Last but not least, another bridge one was like Wormhole. So another bridge to Solana from. And so that one was also last year as well. Uh, that one is about like 300, 320 million. So all these are in like the hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, primarily bridge hacks. There's a lot of money lost <laughs> to grifters what, what, and scammers. What, what, what do you mean exactly by bridge hack? Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of gets into the technical details of like layer ones or Ethereum, um, like Solana. Um, uh, these are kind of, uh, or even Binance, so BSC, so Binance Smart Chain, these are kind of their own sediment layers. So last week, I think we talked about like sediment layers, like where assets are stored at the base chain. Uh, but the thing is that these kind of main L1s don't talk to each other. So like, if you look at like Solana, or if you look at Ethereum, or you look at Bitcoin, or you look at 
BSC, so Binance Smart Chain. These are all four separate chains that there's no cross chain, there's no communication between them. So what people do in order to move assets from one chain to another, they go through what's called a bridge. And so the way that, that works is that if you're coming from Ethereum, for example, and trying to go to Solana, like you have like five um, US dollars, USDC, US, USDC. So what you do is you would send it to a smart contract on Ethereum, you would lock it. So you basically send it to a smart contract and say, I'm going to push this here. Give me it on the other side, on the destination chain. Mm. And what happens kind of off chain or happens outside of Ethereum, outside of Solana is a computer just listens to on-chain events. And once it reads that you as Rudy locked that five US dollars on Ethereum, it then tells Solana to mint you five US dollars. And so what happens in that scenario is that you now have five dollars that's locked or kind of kept in a smart contract on Ethereum. And you have five yeah, representation dollars on Solana. It's like the way that, that works, uh, you can still interact with DeFi on Solana with that five kind of dollars that are still redeemable for the ones that are on Ethereum. And the reason gotcha. that's a big vulnerability is that like, there's a huge honeypot now. Like money is just sitting in a smart contract. Um, and there's a lot of different vulnerabilities and attack vectors from just being able to take money from that kind of honeypot sitting there on Ethereum. That's it. It's like a cyber bank vault because that's what a yeah. bank does, right? They just store dollars and then give yeah. you dollars when you need it. Not so much anymore because it's so much more digital. But back in the day, you know, bank robbery was probably more lucrative than it is now. But yeah, because yeah, you just have a bunch of money sitting somewhere and then all of a sudden someone's able to break into it. They got all that access to it. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that like... um since the money is sitting on Ethereum, for example, in that context, um, if you were to steal the money on Ethereum, now the $5 that is floating around being used in Solana is essentially now backed by nothing. Like there's nothing there that they can get back or redeem. And so oh, wow. what typically happens in that scenario is like the, the money or the representation of that $5 that is now in Solana, that money typically like the value drops to zero because people know that they can't get their money back. So... It's a huge issue, like a big, big, big action happened. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just devalues it com completely. And that's sad. I mean, like, it's also just, you can take security practices for yourself, but sometimes yeah. just get stuck with these, uh, these protocols who just didn't know and just got one swung up, you know, got rug pulled themselves. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, like, sure. you know, what, what are some of the like, best practices that someone can take for interacting with these types of protocols that, you know, could be at risk? Yeah. So if you think about like the kind of main ways in which smart, um, blockchains are hacked or money is lost in the blockchain context is like either through bridges or kind of smart contract vulnerabilities, right? So on the bridge context, typically what you don't want to do is go through an L1 to an L1 bridge. So like in the context of going from Ethereum to Solana, you don't typically want to take bridges between those because those two don't really talk to each other. And so if you were to try to go through them, go from, go from Ethereum to Solana, you'd have to lock assets on one side and get issued um, assets on the other side. So what you want to do is typically go through a solution that gives you what's called native assets on the chain. So like, um, for example, Circle or company that creates USDC, they have native USDC on a number of different chains like for example, Ethereum, Arbitrum, Avalanche. So they basically, instead of having you go through a bridge, they basically give you the actual asset on the chain mm -hmm. itself. So now instead of having to lock assets on one chain, go to, go to get it on another chain, you have it natively on that chain. So that's one alternative, one kind of avenue to avoid 
the bridge hacks at least. And then on the kind of smart contract vulnerability side of it, just make sure that you use code, use smart contracts or um, dApps that have one been out for a while. So they're kind of Lindy. So they haven't been like really tampered with. Um, they've been out for a while. And two is that it's kind of a long history of like, haven't been hacked. Right. So like if you think about um, like any main like application that's out there right now that has hundreds of millions of billions of dollars that are being used within the application, um, it's a big honeypot as it stands. And so one would assume that there's a lot of hackers that are trying to hack that application. And for the fact that it has not been hacked means that it's kind of um, secure. <laughs> there's no like 100% secure guarantee, secure guarantee yeah. but like just the fact that there's money there that hasn't been taken in quite a long time or hasn't been taken at all um, gives you some assurance that like it's, it's, it's secure to some degree. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing too. It's when something's out and brand new, yeah. always be cautious about it because it's not tested through the times. Uh, and as something has been has been tested through the times, could be more reliable. And yeah. and also one thing I didn't mention is audits. So like um, mm -hmm. so smart contracts by their very nature they're public, they're open. And so what companies do before they push out smart contracts is they get audited. So they basically take all their code. They stop working on it and they say, hey, hey, security firm, come and look at my code. Make sure there's no issues, no bugs, no problems before I put it out into the wild. And so what people typically tend to do is just to basically go get their code checked by a third yeah. party to make sure they have a stamp of approval that this is legit or this is safe. So look for yeah. audits as well. Yeah, it's like key thing too is people forget that a lot of systems in place that we have, I like to relate things back into like the, the Web two world or like olden days, olden days <laughs> where like manufacturing, for instance, there's yeah. checks that happen from OSHA or like different uh, um, FDA approved companies or whatever, whatever else is out there to kind of regulate that these companies are performing as or should be safely. They're clean, hygienic, and they're accurate to what they're saying, and. That is something we have to do in crypto too. It's it's yeah. it's fun that it's decentralized and permissionless and anyone can use it and it's exciting. But also we need to effectively keep us safe and keep these companies safe. And I'm wondering, yeah. like, you know, learning more about what you've experienced is like how do you see the mesh between I guess regulatory checks on these crypto companies? making sure they're secure and safe versus like, can the crypto community do it on, do it on its own? Yeah. Um, is, is it sound kind of sad, but right now I think the, uh, like a lot of the regulatory regulatory agencies right now are taking a much more of like a, uh, a negative stance to crypto. Mm -hmm. And so they are going through like enforcement versus like setting clear rules and how people can actually keep themselves secure. And so right now, at least, um, it's a bit of a, interesting time in the crypto space because regulators are more like attacking the industry versus like supporting creating regulation around it. From that perspective, a lot of the crypto companies and people in the crypto space have actually like took it upon themselves to um, create white hat groups. And so like if there are potential vulnerabilities, they as a white hack hacker, they basically come out and they they basically attack the protocol, but basically secure the funds and they basically return them back to the company or the organization that created the product. So it allows people who are using the application to still get their funds back. And so the bad actors don't take it and run off with it. So a lot of like, for example, in the curve context, 
that that Viper issue, that that kind of vulnerability that was there. Um, a lot of white hat hackers came out, like hacked the actual Curve protocol, took some of the money, and actually were able to secure it themselves, and they gave it back to the Curve organization. So wow. um, this is just one example of like people taking the time on themselves to like keep the whole industry secure for the benefit of the in- industry. That's so nice. That would never happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Outside no. of crypto. Nah. <laughs> right. It's funny. It's like, <laughs> you don't hear it's that like legit. news. It's like, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars that are like available to be taken. And then someone like goes upon themselves to say they take it and then keep it secure and then give it back. Like uh, only in crypto it, do you find that. <laughs> it's like if a bank robber gives you a duffel bag of money and just says, just yeah, take this duffel bag of money. It's fine. Would you return it to the bank or would you just take it back home with you? What would you do? I would return it. I'm a good guy. Yes. You're a white hat hacker. I know you are. Yeah. But yeah. yeah totally no, me sure. too. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But it's like, that's the thing too. It's like, there is a lot of good in people and good in communities and, and anything that wherever you are and whatever, in, like, community you are in you, that you love and care about you want it to succeed and you do truly yeah. want it to grow and that does mean like helping out and however you can with whatever skill sets you have and our skill sets are building sugarcane working here and building this podcast and yeah. other people could hack and they can save money for others and that was a big big thank you from the whole crypto industry they're very thankful for remember people are like thanking the white white hat hackers for Providing, um, providing people back with their money. That's, you know, yeah. it's a lot of money to lose. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like one thing I've realized being in the crypto space for so long, like I've been around since 2016, right? So like um, the space is, is beautiful because like there's a lot of like wholesome people that are just in it for the the idea idea of like decentralization and like parts of the people and like making sure that people can actually control their own assets. And then from that perspective, now people are in it to support and help. And like, if there are vulnerabilities, given the fact that it is financial in nature, it doesn't stop people from like still being better, still being, being good and having that like positive perspective. It's, it's a, good, a good space to be in at least. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the case too, is there's a lot of anonymity in crypto. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, how does that, you know, help or hurt crypto? I want to know more about what you think about that. Yeah, no. So, um. Funny enough, uh, one of the big hackers in the curve example, uh, they were called Coffee Bay. <laughs> and so like uh, everyone like they, they like like they white hacked, white hacked, hacked like tens of millions of dollars um, from curve and just returned it back to the protocol, back to the company or organization. And so like that's one context where like a person who completely is anonymous hacked it for the benefit of the space and then gave it back. And so that's one place where like that person doesn't really care about the recognition or the popularity from whatever they did. They just want to make sure the space evolves and moves forward. And I think once you detach like identity from like actions, it does two things. One, it either brings out the worst in people or brings out the best in people because now the people who actually care about the space evolving, getting better, they can now, instead of having themselves be publicly blasted for or publicly like um, put in like limelight for it, they can do this action and then move the space forward in a positive way. On the negative side of it, I'd be kind of remiss to say like there are a lot of people who are still anonymous that try to hack companies and hack protocols and they do end up doing it and they can escape. But the kind of exit hash that tends to happen is that now you have a whole industry that's looking to find out who you are. And so 
there's a lot of like people who are looking at like um, IP addresses and kind of addresses that people have interacted with to basically kind of de-anonymize that person. And so the anonymity is still there, but you can still find an interest of people who want to find out who they are and like report them to the law authorities. Yeah, we want as many cyber Batman people as possible just to come in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as caped heroes. <laughs> um, Not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this is definitely yeah. a interesting take because there's a lot of security and a lot of risks that you have sure. to keep in mind of in crypto. And the safest method, as we've said before, is move your holdings onto a hardware wallet or a wallet that you can have full self-custody over. And that that way there's no interaction between you and the outside world. Yeah. But if you want to interact, interact with something you're safe and comfortable interacting with, you've researched the company, or if they're new... Avoid bridges. Avoid bridges and only <laughs> use... Only expend funds that you're worth, you're willing to worth risk. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone. Stay safe out there because yep. next next week we got some more stuff for you. Tasty tidbits. <laughs> Tastiest of tidbits. <laughs>